Beginning at verse 13, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for, again, this opportunity to open up your word and to consider the truth it contains. And we pray that your spirit would be with us, leading us and guiding us, giving us understanding into this uh, truth and this uh, glorious doctrine of inspiration uh, as we continue to study uh, about the scriptures and what the scriptures testify of itself uh, as your holy word. And so we just pray that you would be with us and that you would bless our, our study this evening and that your word would be a blessing uh, to our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is warning the young pastor Timothy of the many dangers of coming false prophets and false teachers who will... Uh, creep into the church and even into homes and they will wreak havoc on the gullible and on the unsuspecting, especially those who aren't firmly grounded in the truth of God's Word and who haven't received the teaching and the doctrine that has been passed on by the apostles. And Paul's warning to Timothy certainly could have just been uh, as easily been uh, written last week given the times in which we find ourselves. Not only in the the general degradation and abounding immorality of our society, which increasingly rejects God and His Word, but even considering the status of the church. Many false prophets and teachers uh, having great influence. But also, not just in those false teachings, but also really in the naivete and And the gullibility of many evangelical Christians who really know very little about God's Word. And the reason they know little about God's Word is, one, they're not hearing it preached in their churches that they attend. And, of course, they're not spending uh, their time, their personal time, reading and studying the Word of God, seeking to learn from its truth. Well, as Paul exhorts Timothy... He reminds him that it is the Word of God found in the Scriptures that's to be our rule and standard for life. And of course, by which we're to measure every other doctrine or teaching. And so the neglect of the Scriptures really puts us in a dangerous place. And this is because the Scriptures are the very words of God. Last time we considered how gracious it was of God to reveal himself to mankind through uh, creation in a very general way, but then also especially in a very special way through his word. 
And so this evening, we want to focus in particular on the aspect of God's revealing himself to us through his word and how it was conveyed to us and written down by his appointed prophets and apostles so that we can now read it today for ourselves in the Bible. And we begin by considering the means by which God has communicated his word to mankind. And first, we do a survey of the Old Testament. From the very beginning, we find God speaking. Uh, In the uh, probably verse 3, maybe, of Genesis, I think, is where we find God, the Lord, speaking for the very first time. That he spoke, God said, let there be, and there was. Right? That's the repeated phrase that we find throughout Genesis chapter 1. God speaks and the world is created through the power of his spoken word. But his first, and so right from the beginning, God, right from the beginning of creation, God was speaking. But his first spoken word to mankind was a direct conversation that he had with Adam wherein God revealed to Adam the first summary of the moral law. We find this in Genesis 2, verse 16. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's the very first law that God gave to man. Obey and live, disobey, and you shall surely die. And in giving his law, God has not only revealed his own holiness, but he has also, was also giving Adam purpose. And then later we see that he was demonstrating his love for him and that he graciously provided an abundance of food. And then later, even though it's actually recorded uh, earlier in the book of Genesis, later, after God created Eve, he charged the couple with a blessing and further expanded on his purpose for them. And so back in Genesis 1 verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food. And so, of course, both of these instances are what we would call direct revelations. That is, God speaking directly to mankind. And, of course, that was a unique situation where God had, uh, Adam and Eve had that uh, perfect fellowship with God uh, there in the garden before the fall. But God has also been pleased to speak directly to others whom he appointed and then charged to convey his message to others. And of course, this is the role of the prophet in the Old Testament. And of course, Moses is often considered uh, the first such prophet. Uh, God speaks to Moses and he tells Moses to tell the people that he is the God who speaks. In Exodus 3, we read this, and this is uh, Moses at the burning bush. Go, the Lord says to him, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And so God is speaking to Moses and charging Moses to go and tell the people that now is the time for their deliverance. 
Well, the, of course, the people received the words that uh, Moses spoke as the very words of God, and Moses recorded what God had told him to record. And again, that's what we read earlier in Exodus 24. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. So we see this pattern of God speaking, and the prophets either uh, continuing to, to speak, proclaim it to the people, or even here writing it down. And of course, many other prophets would come after Moses. And again, these prophets also would speak the words of God, revealing to the people his will, his promises, and also his warnings. As the prophets spoke to the people, they would often begin, thus says the Lord, to remind them that it was actually God speaking to them and not the prophet himself. And so, for example, in 2 Kings verse 17, we read this, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servant, the prophets. And so the testimony and message of the prophets was the testimony and the message of God to bring blessing but also to bring great warning. And even David, uh, the great king of Israel, was used as a prophet of God to speak the words of God. And especially we see this when he composed the Psalms. Uh, David says uh, of himself in uh, 2 Samuel 23, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. And again, David makes clear that what he spoke when he wrote the Psalms was actually from the Spirit of God and not from his own. Well, then in the New Testament, we have Jesus confirming Moses, David, and all the prophets and as all speaking God's word. And so we see that uh, Jesus using phrases like Moses said or the, as the prophets said. And then in Mark 12, verse 36, he actually quotes from Psalm 110 and he be- prefaces it with this. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so Jesus here is acknowledging that it was God who was speaking through these prophets. Well then of course later Paul and the apostles, they also would speak the word of God. Paul gives us an example, giving a counsel regarding marriage. He says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, that a wife is not to depart from her husband. And so there Paul is saying, Look, I'm telling you this, but it's not really me. It's the Lord. This is the Lord's command being given to you. And then even Peter confirms that, uh, that both his and Paul's words are actually on the same uh, level of authority as the Old Testament scriptures. Second Peter 3, Peter says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Right? So, P- 
Peter saying the rest of the Scriptures. And he was just speaking about Paul's letters. And he's saying here that Paul's letters stand on the same authority as the rest of the Scriptures because the false teachers twist the rest of the Scriptures even as they do Paul's words. And so the prophets and the apostles of the Old Testament and the New Testament spoke the Word of God. But how is it that these men spoke and wrote, and yet we say that it's God's Word and not theirs? Indeed, how can we say that God is the author of the Bible when we know that it was written by various men? Well, this leads us to the doctrine of inspiration. That the words of Scripture are God's Word because they were inspired by God Himself. But what do we mean when we say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Does it mean that when we read it, we are inspired and challenged to do great things? Well, that can certainly be true. Certainly reading the Word of God should inspire us to do great things for God's glory. But this isn't what we understand as the doctrine of inspiration. I have a technical definition is this. Inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit in the authors of Scripture, enabling them to write the very words of God so as to communicate in a trustworthy and intelligible way the truth by which people are to live. And so the words of the Bible are the words of God. To understand this doctrine of inspiration, we look once again at 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And Paul says in that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so first here in verse 15 we see that the Scriptures have the power and the authority of God behind them so as to lead sinful men to salvation. And we looked at this a bit last time in relation to Psalm 19, the second part of Psalm 19, talking about uh, how the law of the Lord is perfect and it converts the soul and it opens the eyes and brings wisdom. And so truly the Scriptures make us wise unto salvation. And the power of God is truly present in the Word of God. Because the words of the Bible are breathed out or inspired by God. And the word for inspiration in verse 16 is the Greek word um, uh, theonutos. And literally it's God breathed. Theos being the word for God and nutos is, is spirit or breath. And so it's God breathed or breathed out by God. And so the Lord God breathed out the words of scriptures and either directed the prophets and the apostles to proclaim those words to the people directly. And in many cases, he also charged them, as we saw with Moses and then throughout the New Testament, he charged them to write down those words so that they can be remembered. But what's interesting about 2 Timothy 3 is that Paul is speaking specifically of the writings, that is, the Old Testament scriptures, that these are what Timothy knew from childhood. And they were able to make him wise unto salvation, even to Jesus Christ. And what a great blessing that is, that even the Old Testament Scriptures can lead us to faith in Jesus Christ. And that in itself is, raises really the value of the Old Testament Scriptures for those in the church today, especially for those who 
claim they think we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures are also the God-breathed words. Of course, as we've just seen, the apostles carry the same authority so that all the Bible is God-breathed. All of it is authoritative, not just the red-letter portions. And that's really one of the, um, the tragedies of red-letter edition Bibles. It's great to kind of make the words of Jesus stand out, but people tend to think that what's there in red is more important and more authoritative than all the rest of what's there written in black. But no, all the Scripture is God-breathed. And the various authors of Scripture spanning thousands of years have all compiled one coherent message. When you consider the whole of Scripture, the amount of agreement between the Old and the New Testaments is a great indicator that there really is just one author of the Bible. And Peter declares in 2 Peter 1, saying, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the doctrine of inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding holy men appointed by God to speak and write His Word. And even though... <clears throat> the way God declared His Word was uh, was different. At, at times, was was very different, as we noted. For example, uh, some God spoke to directly. Sometimes uh, He spoke to them directly and then told them to pass that word on. Other times, He said to write it down. Uh, other times, God, uh, what God had said, uh, He revealed His Word to. Uh, even to some prophets in dreams and in visions. And yet the key process effective in each was the work of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. But when we consider how God inspired these chosen men, that is, how it worked out practically, well, there are a variety of views. Some assert that the process of inspiration was very mechanical. That is, the writers of the scriptures were merely uh, stenographers or, or kind of robots or word processors that simply recorded what God said in a very impersonal and distant way. But of course, even just any uh, cursory glance of the scriptures and reading through the scriptures, we see that there's often a very personal tone to each of the books of the Bible. And so, for example, Paul speaks about the suffering and trials that he himself endured when he expresses his great love. We also see when he expresses his great love for those to whom he's writing. And so inspiration certainly isn't mechanical. But in God's purpose and design, he used the personalities and the styles of the human writers. Another view is simply that the biblical writers simply collected and wrote down various oral traditions so that their writings are just merely human accounts or interpretations of what you might call religious development over time. And this, of course, makes then the biblical writers just mere editors and interpreters offering their own opinions on what they believe God said, rather than writing down precisely what it was that God had commanded. 
Well, the danger of this perspective is that it enables people then to pit one biblical writer against another or disregarding something entirely, merely saying, for example, as some often do, well, that was just Paul's opinion, and God did not truly command that. Well, another view <clears throat> related especially to prophecy is that such accounts were history that were written after the fact. And so, for example, as Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesy of future events, things like the, the captivity uh, of, uh, of Israel and Judah and the exile, and even as they uh, think about the, the coming of the Messiah, they would say that these prophecies are so accurate only because they were written after these events happened instead of, by the power of the Spirit of God, speaking of them hundreds of years far in advance. And one example, I think, would be um, when Isaiah talks names Cyrus by name as the one who will uh, help the uh, exiles return, uh, help the captives return. Well, that was at least a hundred or so years before Cyrus ever lived. And so they say, well, that was because it it was written after. Well, no, it was written before because the all-knowing God gave Isaiah the name to write of the one who would set the people free and send them back home. And so all these alternative views of, com- of composition <clears throat> are to be rejected. And the proper mode of composition is what we call organic. That is, that the Spirit uses the gifts, the abilities, and the experiences of the human writers to accurately record the very words of God. Not the opinions of men, but the very word of God. Now, with this understanding of composition, it's easier then to understand what we might think or some people call discrepancies. Uh, for example, in the Gospels. That is, each Gospel writer was writing for a particular audience, for a particular purpose, and each had their own style and form of presentation. And even though they do generally follow a, a, a general time format, they often would arrange things uh, differently according to the purpose uh, to which they were writing. And of course, when we put all, uh, all the gospel accounts together, we actually get a fuller picture. And though each account is true and complete on its own, we get a fuller picture when we bring them all together. And so, for example, it would be similar to uh, four people witnessing an accident. And you could get uh, four very true but very different accounts of what happened that helps you to give that more complete picture. Well, the Spirit works in the writers and the, uh, the gospel writers using their own experiences, again, using their, the purpose for which you know, some are writing to the Jews, some are writing to, um, to uh, Gentiles, some are writing to the perse- persecuted believers. And, uh, and so it's for these reasons uh, that we see the, the great work of the Spirit because the message remains one and the same. And so the implication of the doctrine of inspiration is that even though there were many, again, many human writers whom God used over thousands of years, there is in reality just one author of the scriptures, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That he is the one author of the Bible. 
Now we've already considered how God the Father spoke. For example, at the time of creation, how He spoke to to Moses uh, on the mountain. As well as the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, as David testifies and as the apostles testify in leading and guiding the human writers. But what about the Son? What's the Son's role, God the Son, what's His role in inspiration in the writing of the Scriptures? Well, remember the opening of John's Gospel. It makes clear that not only is Jesus the Son, truly God, but that He Himself is actually the very Word of God come in the flesh. In John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Nothing was made that was made. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus then, as the Word of God, come in the flesh, is the fullest revelation of God. And as the Word of God in the flesh, Jesus, during His earthly ministry, spoke with authority the Word of God. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount in Acts uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus equates His Word with the Scriptures. He says, You have heard that it was said of, to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. That's, he's quoting there the Seventh Commandment. But I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it's that, but I say to you, demonstrates that what Jesus says and what the Old Testament Scriptures say are of the same authority. He's not telling them to disregard the Old Testament Scriptures, but he's further explaining those Old Testament Scriptures. Well, the apostles whom Jesus appointed spoke and wrote uh, by his authority as, again, the Holy Spirit worked in and through them to write the New Testament. And so once again, the words of Jesus don't contradict the words of the apostles, again, as some contemporary false teachers try to assert, that they're in full agreement. But there's another way that emphasizes the unity, the authorship of the Word of God by the triune God. The writer to the Hebrews notes in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Again, this shows us that Jesus, the Son of God, was the fullest revelation of God, with the New Testament writers now bearing witness to Christ. But also note how it's said of Jesus, through whom also he made the worlds. And then if we go back to John chapter 1, that Jesus the Word was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was involved in the creation of the world as the Word of God spoken. And so where do we find this? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, whenever we read, and God said, and there was, that spoken word was the Son taking part in the creation of the world. Indeed, not only has the Son created all things, but He even now as the God-man continues to sustain all things by the word of His power. 
And so the scriptures truly reveal one author of the Bible, the triune God. And then finally, because there is one author and one voice speaking in the scriptures, there is also a unified purpose and goal. And the later verses of our passage point us in this direction of that purpose, though chiefly they relate to the sufficiency of the Scriptures, which is a topic that we may uh, come to at a later point. But they also point us toward our goal to live our lives for the enjoyment and glory of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because of the one author, there is also then one message. And that message is profitable for doctrine. That is, what we need to know and believe about God and about ourselves. It's profitable for reproof and correction, being the ultimate standard in how we are to live our lives and measuring how we are to live our lives and and also in what we believe. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness so that we might know and learn how to live holy as the God who called and created us is holy. All this culminating the final point of being made complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That completeness comes in our being formed and fashioned after the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we get to that point? Well, it's through the reading, the studying, the obeying God's Word, which He has graciously given to us, equipping us for every good work, every good work both in this life and even in the glorious eternal life to come, including the greatest work of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And so Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God. And there is nothing else that God needs to reveal to us for faith and life. Because the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is the inspired Word of God. God has spoken. And Jesus says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We hear God's voice by the power of the Spirit through His Word. When it's read, when it's proclaimed, and again when we have the privilege to sing the very Word of God. So God has spoken. Do we hear Him when He speaks to us through His Word? May we truly listen and hear the Word of God spoken to us for the glory of God. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks, Father, for this reminder of Your truth, of this doctrine of inspiration. And it just kind of boggles our minds to consider how over thousands of years you used different writers in different places and different stations of life and different levels of knowledge and understanding and and you gave them your word and they faithfully wrote it down and recorded it preserved by the power of the spirit so that we might even now have it in our own hands to read, study, to be guided by it, and to conform our lives to its truth and what it reveals. 
We especially thank you for the fullest of your revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great love that He has revealed to us, your love for us, when He gave Himself and suffered and died on the cross for our sins. Father, we just praise you and thank you for these precious gifts. And we ask that you would continue to strengthen us, that you would help us to be equipped in this truth, to be able to um, counter those who may um, try to attack and accuse and distort, and that you would help us to be faithful as we strive to follow after you and follow after your word. And especially as we go about our usual activities and duties this week, we do pray, Father, that you would lead us and guide us, that we would daily feed upon your word, and that we would truly see it for what it is, your word given to us, that we might grow, that we might be blessed, that we might be drawn closer to you. So we pray for your blessing in all these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.